Y'all look with me at Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11. Luke 5, 1 through 11. And as, as Nathan said, we're, we're, today we're closing out our series on the journey to joy. And hopefully if you've been here through most of this series, hopefully you've come to understand that joy should be present in our lives. doesn't mean we're always happy. doesn't mean everything always goes our way. doesn't mean we never get sad, never get angry. It just means that joy is the constant. We've always got something to rejoice in. Life does not get us down. And that should be the case for you. You should live a life that is so full of joy that others should be drawn to you, should say, I want what you have. That should be the story of your life because of Christ's presence. And hopefully you've seen, if, if joy isn't present in your life, it's not because you're not necessarily saved. That doesn't mean that. But it, it may mean that you're just not experiencing all that God meant for you to experience. So as you look through Philippians he talks about investing in the lives of others. He talks about working out that salvation, every aspect of it in your life. So taking seriously your walk with Christ. He talks about, as Alan shared with us two weeks ago, focusing on your inner life and making sure the things you think about are right. Putting good stuff in so that good things come out. Last week we talked about contentment and how we should strive for contentment, be joyful in the things that we've been given instead of always griping about the things we don't. Today we're going to look at the last part of that. If you haven't been with us for that whole series and you're interested, all of those sermons are on our website. Look at the, the sermon page or you can subscribe to our, uh, our podcast and it delivers it to your phone whether you want it or not. Okay? So I want to, I want to start by telling you um, that there's something interesting in your pew rack in front of you, something that's not usually there. There's a white card that has two words on it. One word is no, and the other word is Lord. I want you to pull one of those cards out. Every one of you needs one of those. No matter how old you are, Christian, non-Christian, tall, fat, skinny, short, white, black, brown, whatever, you're going to need one of those cards, okay? And what I want you to do is I want you to tear that card in half. Tear it in half between the no and the Lord so that you'll have one card that says no and one card that says Lord, all right? And... Hang on to them, because I'm going to tell you at the end of the message what to do with those two cards, all right? So, years ago, when I was pretty new at this thing, this whole preaching thing, I pastored a church that had a tradition. Every Sunday, the pastor gave a children's sermon. So, some of you have seen this before. Uh, at a certain point in the service, uh, the pianist would start playing, Jesus loves me, this I know, and all the kids would come flooding up forward, um, and they would sit on the steps of the church, uh, of, the, of the altar, and I would sit down in the midst of them, and I would give a little children's sermon. Now, I have to tell you this. I love kids. I'm thankful for every kid who's here. I'm not good at giving the children's sermon. I, after about four or five weeks, I was out of ideas. And, and, and so it gave me a tremendous respect for children's ministers like Kathy. Gave me a tremendous respect for all of you who are elementary school teachers and how you hold the attention of a, of a room full of other people's kids who you can't spank. Um, and, and you hold their attention for, for all day. I don't know how you do it. You, you have my respect. I couldn't do it for for three minutes up there in front of the church. Someone, uh, a friend of mine gave me a book of children's sermons and some of the ideas in there were pretty good. So I used those as best I could just to get through it. And so one Sunday I thought I had a good one. Uh, and it was a little story and it involved a, a, an actual object that you could hold up. That's always good for kids, right? So I came and I told him the story of a little boy 
who was in, a, in an old barn and he found this jar and in the bottom of a jar was a gold coin. So I brought my little jar and because I was the pastor of First Baptist Stockdale and I didn't have any gold coins, I brought a penny. So there's a penny in the jar just to illustrate. And I talked about how this little boy had seen that gold coin in the jar and he stuck his hand down there and he grabbed it, but then he couldn't get his hand out. You've heard this story before, right? Couldn't get his hand out and just cried and cried because his hand was stuck in the jar. He knew if he would have let go of the coin, he could have gotten his hand out. But because he wouldn't let go of the coin, he was trapped. And so I, I use that to talk about greed and about how if you, if you grab onto things, if you clench onto things, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to trap you. And, and I'm trying to make that point. I'm in the midst of making this very profound point when one of the kids grabs the jar out of my hand and said, hey, why didn't he just do this? That little twerp. After the service was over, I told his parents, you know, you might enjoy the Methodist church a little more than this, but um, he was right, though. And it's a perfect illustration of what I want to talk to you about today, how this clenched up life, by the way, we misspelled clenched on the un- unclenched on the back of your bulletin. So uh, there's there's something for you to enjoy. But when you, when, you, when you grab hold of things, when you're grabbing hold of stuff, and all your life is about holding on to what you have and gaining more, there's a misery that that brings into your life. There's a bondage to that. Whereas when you have an open hand, a hand that gives, a hand that offers to others, a spirit of generosity brings joy, brings peace. That's where the joy comes when we give to others. So that's what Paul wants to tell us about here at the end of the book of Philippians. So look with me at verse 14 of chapter 4. And here's the last thing he's going to say on the subject of joy. He says, Yet it it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus." So Paul is writing, as I've said all along, this letter is a thank you note from Paul to his friends in Philippi. Paul's in prison in Rome. Epaphroditus, the pastor of the church in Philippi, has shown up and he's got this gift, a collection that the people of Philippi have taken up on behalf of Paul, the man who planted their church. And Paul is writing to say thank you. But in the midst of this thank you, he has to tell them all about what it means to be joyful. And here at the end, he says, one of the things that brings great joy is to be generous. And that goes against the way we think. Because we think of happiness coming from gaining things, from getting things, from receiving. But Paul, led by the Holy Spirit and consistent with the rest of the Scripture, says it comes when we give things away. That's where the joy really comes in. How does that work exactly? And I know some of you are skeptical and some of you are like... uh, I had to show up on the day he talks about generosity, didn't I? Let me tell you why you should pursue generous living. In fact, I'll just start out by saying this. I think every one of us, if we want to be more joyful, one of the first things we should do is just pray, Lord, give me more opportunities to be generous. 
Give me more opportunities to bless others with what I have. And I know there's a lot of us who would say, now wait a second. I don't have a lot financially. There are people out there who have a lot and they can give a lot. I'll just serve God in other ways. I'll serve God with my hands or with my mouth or with my mind, but I'll let the people who have a lot give a lot and I'll serve in other ways. And that's the way I used to think too. And then God worked on me and showed me, showed me what generosity does. So let me show you why you should strive to be more generous. Why you should literally pray, Lord, give me opportunities this week to be generous to other people. First of all, because when you're generous, you become the answer to someone's prayer. That's the first thing Paul talks about. He, he tells them thank you in, in very lavish terms. And he says, you've blessed me over and over again. You blessed me when I was just out there doing ministry and nobody else was supporting me financially. Remember, Paul, as a pastor, he didn't have a church like I have that paid his salary. He had to, he had to work as a tent maker and preach on the side. So he was blessed that another church would come along and support him. He says, and now you sent Epaphroditus and he's brought me this gift and I have more than enough. I'm not writing this letter so you'll send me more. I have more than enough. But what Paul is saying here, he's very careful to say, I don't need anything from you. His point is not, you know, the real blessing is I had all these bills to pay. Paul's in jail. He doesn't have a lot of bills. It's not like he's going to take this gift that the, the Philippians have given him and head over to Brooks Brothers and buy a new suit. He's not going to run down to Buckaloo and buy a Chevrolet. He's not, and there's your advertisement, okay? I mean, he's not going to go buy anything. He doesn't need anything. His point is, it's good to be thought of. It's good to be remembered. It's good to know that someone cares about me. Those Philippians were the answer to his prayer. He was all by himself in a room full of Romans, and he suddenly had this visit from a church that said, we care about you. Back in the 1990s, some of you remember Perot Systems, one of the big companies back then. Back in the 90s, they made big, big, big news in, on the business page, not by any business decision they made, but because they canceled their annual Christmas party. Now, every year, Perot Systems would have a Christmas party that cost the company $360,000 because they'd have an open bar and lots of food and entertainment and rent out a, a lavish hall, and they canceled it. And the employees were in an uproar. How dare you? But they didn't cancel it to save money. They actually said, we're going to take that money that we spend every year on the Christmas party, we're going to give it away to charity, but we're going to give it away through our employees. So our employees themselves will have the opportunity to give the money away. So these employees who were furious, after that first Christmas, they, they bought in. Because the first time they drove a gift to a home of an inner city family that didn't have much and they, and they brought Christmas gifts to that whole family. Or the first time they went to an under-resourced school and they blessed that school with the things they needed to educate their kids better. The first time they gave away stuff and blessed others, they were convinced this is great. In fact, one guy came up to the CEO and said, let's never change this. This has changed my life. And that's what it does for us. I know how they feel. I've been able to do things like that because of your generosity. I've been able to go up to people, men and women, who are planting churches. One of the hardest things you can possibly do because you work a full-time job and then you're trying to get a church off the ground from scratch. I've been able to go church planters, some of the most courageous men and women I know, and say, 
my church is going to support you. My church is going to help you get things off the ground for the first three years until you're on your feet. I've been able to give hand checks to people who lost everything in Hurricane Harvey or people who lost their jobs and they can't pay their bills. Why? Because you're generous. Because you are the answer to somebody's prayer. And that brings incredible joy. But that's not the only reason to be generous. We're also generous, and we should seek to be more generous because it pleases God when we are. It makes God happy. In verse 18, Paul says, what you've given me is a fragrant aroma, a fragrant offering. Now, that's an unusual way to say it, isn't it? Because last time I checked, money doesn't smell one way or another, right? It, it's, it almost sounds like he's talking about a, a big box of chocolate chip cookies or, or a bag of barbecue. That sounds good, doesn't it? But actually, he's using Old Testament language. If you read the Old Testament, and if you don't skip over the second half of Exodus in the book of Leviticus, which most of us do, let's be honest, we're in church, right? If you don't skip over that, you see God in those sections of the Bible gives us or gives his people this intricate system of sacrifices that they were to do. This was the way the Israelites were to worship him. And he said, if you've sinned and you want to get right with me, here's the kind of sacrifice you need to bring. If you just want to say thank you because I've been good to you, here's the other kind of sacrifice you should bring. And if you want to, if you want to pray for guidance, here's how you do it. And, and on this holiday, here's what you bring. And, and, and here's how much grain and here's how much wine. And here's the kind of bull I want or the kind of lamb. And if you're poor, here's what you can bring instead. If you read that section, I'll admit it's pretty boring because it's very intricate, but God is being very specific. And what he's saying is there's a right way to give. Now, we don't do those sacrifices anymore because Jesus is our once and for all sacrifice. And that's why we don't kill animals and place them on the altar. I've got a cat you can kill if you're interested, but that's not the point. Um, I just don't tell me, you know, plausible deniability and we're good. But, but the point there is God has a specific way he wants us to give. There is a kind of giving that pleases God and there's a kind that doesn't. So what does the Bible say about that specifically? It says, first of all, that giving that pleases God is sacrificial. It costs us something. You may or may not know this, but every year at Thanksgiving, the Butterball Turkey Company uh, has a 24-hour hotline in the days before Thanksgiving, and it's so that people can call in and ask questions about how how to cook their turkey or any, any kind of, any things that go wrong. And so uh, the week before Thanksgiving, years ago, a lady called this hotline and said, I've got a question. We were defrosting my freezer. We've got this big stand-up freezer. and We found down at the bottom, there was this, this turkey just encased in ice, like a woolly mammoth, you know? And, and they, they thawed it out, and she said, I have no idea how long we've had this turkey. I can't even remember the last time we defrosted our freezer. It could be over 10 years. She said, is it safe for me to serve this to my family? And the lady said, well, if it's been frozen all that time, it probably won't hurt your family. But I'll be honest with you, it's probably really freezer burned, so it won't taste very good either. And the lady said, oh, well, I guess I'll just give it to my church then. And that's what we do, right? We give God the leftovers. We give him what we don't want. We bundle up all our used clothes that we don't want anymore, can't wear anymore, and we take them to goodwill and we say, man, how generous am I? But that's not giving that pleases God. That's not sacrificial. 
Remember in Mark 12 when Jesus was so impressed with the widow who gave the two small coins, not because he needed that money, but because it represented real sacrifice on her part. God loves sacrificial giving. He's also pleased by unselfish giving. Jesus in Luke 14 talks about if you're throwing a party, don't be like everybody else. They invite people who can advance them financially or socially, but instead invite the people no one else wants. Be the one who is hospitable, who is generous to people who can't pay you back. God's also pleased by anonymous giving. In Matthew 6, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites who blow trumpets in the streets whenever they give an offering because they want everyone to know what they're giving. They want buildings named after them. They They want things endowed in their name. They want to be known as philanthropists. Jesus said, instead, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is giving. That's hard to do, isn't it? Because we, we want some kind of praise. Jesus says, the praise you seek in this world is all the reward you'll get. You know, it's interesting. I, I have this policy. It's not something the church has told me to do. It's just my own policy. I don't know who gives what in this church. I have no idea. I have no idea what you give or what you give or if you give at all, and I don't want to know. And I know that there are other pastors who say that that's not a good thing that, you know, since I'm, I'm supposed to be the, the under-shepherd of this church, I should know what my people give because it's a measure of discipleship, and if you're not giving, I should be able to confront you about that just like I would confront you about, you know, not coming to church or, or not being faithful to your wife or whatever you want to name. But for me, it's, it's been a good thing, and, and Part of it comes from the fact that my dad was the treasurer of our church when I was growing up. And he told me back then, he said, Jeff, you don't want to know who gives. Because once you know, it's going to make you look at people differently. Because you'll see people who don't have much and they give a lot. And you'll see people who have tons and they don't give any. He said, it's hard to look at people the same. I talked to another church treasurer once and she said, it's interesting. The people who gripe the most tend to give the least. Give anonymously and give cheerfully. That's the fourth thing. God loves a cheerful giver. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. You know, Billy Graham used to tell a story about when he was young. He and Ruth were just getting started and they hadn't, they hadn't started all those great crusades. He wasn't a household name yet. And he was preaching in this little church and, and before he got up to preach, they passed the offering plate. And he knew, everybody's watching me, I better give something. And he reached into his wallet and he looked inside and he saw a $1 bill and a $20 bill. And he thought, well, you know, we got to eat lunch today. So he put the $1 bill in the plate. And a, a couple of seconds passed and then he realized, oh no, I put the 20 in there. And that meant there's no lunch today. And you can't exactly chase down the offering plate and say, wait a second, let me take that 20 back. And so he gets up and he preaches his sermon and he gets in the car to go home and he tells Ruth his tale of woe. I'm sorry, we can't have lunch today and and here's why and and, and here's what I meant to do. And and he he felt so sorry for himself. And Ruth, who, who was just such a wise woman, she said, you know the really bad part of that, Billy? In the eyes of God, you only got credit for giving $1. Think about that. God loves a cheerful giver. And by the way, A lot of Christians I hear kind of use that as a loophole. Yeah, well, God loves a cheerful giver, and I'm not really cheerful when I give, so I guess I shouldn't give. That is the stupidest logic I've ever heard, okay? (laughs) 
If you feel that way, here's what I tell you. Pray to God about it. That's a problem in your heart. Pray to God and say, Lord, make me a cheerful giver and keep giving until you become one. I mean, if you, were, if you were a parent, you wouldn't tell your child, hey, don't obey me unless you can be cheerful about it. You'd say, you keep obeying me and have a good attitude, kid. That's how God looks at us. You know, it's, it's said, and I don't know if this is true or not. I do know this is true. I do know that Sam Houston, late in his life, the great hero of Texas, late in his life, came to know Christ as his Savior. And old Sam, I mean, he was a warrior. He was a statesman, but he was a rough old guy. He, was, he had a serious drinking problem most of his life. He'd made a lot of enemies. And then Christ came into his life late in his years and really changed him. And I do know that he was baptized at the Independence Baptist Church about an hour from here in Washington County. But the part I don't know whether it's true or not, they say that on the day he was baptized, he was standing in the river with the pastor, and the pastor looks around at all the people gathered, wanted to see Big Sam get baptized, the hero of San Jacinto, the first president of the Republic of Texas, and he wanted to say something profound, so he said something that isn't really theologically true. He said, now Sam, all your sins are washed away. Of course, we know your sins are washed away by Jesus, not by the waters of baptism, but he says that. Sam, all your sins are washed away, and and Sam said, well, Lord, help all the fishes, which I kind of like. And then after the baptism, he announced, I'm going to pay, from now on, I'm going to pay half the salary of the pastor of this church, whoever that pastor happens to be. And they said, well, why would you give so much? And he said, well, because my wallet got baptized too. And that's what pleases God. What pleases God is when we say, it's all yours. Everything I have is yours. You tell me what to do, what to give. And then finally, why should we be generous Because we always get paid back. We always get rewarded. And verse 19 is the most famous verse in this passage. And you can take that out of context. And most people do. You've probably seen this written on calligraphy somewhere. My God will supply all your needs according to the riches of His glory. But what Paul's really saying there, in context, he's saying, you blessed me. And I'm stuck in prison. I can't make any money. There's no way I can pay you back. So here's what's going to happen. My God will pay you back in my name. My God will pay you back for me. And it echoes the teaching of Scripture. Proverbs 19.17 says, He who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his good deed. When we're generous to our church, when we're generous to others who need our help, God blesses us in return. 2 Corinthians 9.6, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows generously will reap generously. Now I need to say this, so y'all listen carefully. If If your neighbor's asleep, elbow them, they need to hear this. Because this is a teaching that is often misused in churches today, and especially on television. This idea that if you give to God, God gives back. And, and you'll hear preachers say, yeah, man, give $10 to my ministry, you'll get 100 back. Give 100 you'll get 1000 Just keep on doing the math. You can just be the most, the most blessed person, the richest person you know, if you're just generous to my ministry. And folks, that's heresy. Because that's not what the Scriptures teach. God is not an ATM. God is not a machine that we can dictate how He blesses us. And there are people in the Scriptures, Jesus and Paul among them, who lived 
hand to mouth their entire lives. They never became what we would call rich. And can we be honest? Every one of us in this room, compared to the rest of the world's population, a significant percentage of which lives on less than a dollar a day, every one of us is rich. Some more than others, but all of us have plenty. There's not a promise in Scripture that you're going to get rich by giving. There is a promise in Scripture that God will supply all your needs and you will be blessed. I've known generous people in my life. There's some people in this room who are spectacularly generous, who put me to shame every day. There are people I've known through the course of my life who gave so generously. Some of them were wealthy people. Some of them weren't. Some of them had less than me. But the one thing that links them in common is they had joy. They had freedom. God supplied their needs, and they didn't need a thing. And they didn't worry. They didn't stress about money. They had what they needed, and they had joy, and not a single one of them. In fact, nobody I've ever known has come to me and said, yeah, there was a time when I trusted God with my finances, and I gave the way He told me, and now I wish I had that money back. Not a single one. People who give, people who are generous, are blessed in the Lord's sight. There was a guy who came up to Peter Marshall one day. Peter Marshall, for many years, was the chaplain of the United States Senate. And he said, Reverend, I I need your help. I've got a spiritual problem. I I used to be very generous. I I was raised in the church. I was raised to to believe that you give 10% of your income back to the Lord. That's the baseline. He said, when I was dirt poor, I used to give 10%, even though it was hard. Now I'm very successful. And I can't seem to give 10% anymore. Because when you only make about $10,000 a year, it's not so hard to give $1,000. But when you make millions... It's hard to give 10% of that back to God. He said, I I don't know what to do. And and Peter Marshall said, you do have a problem. Do you mind if I pray for you right now? And he said, please do. And Marshall put his hand on his shoulder and he bowed and he prayed and he said, Lord, this brother wants to be obedient to you. So please decrease his income so he can afford to be obedient again. And I don't think that's what that guy had in mind. I don't think that's what God has in mind either. God wants to bless us. 2 Corinthians 9.11 promises you will be enriched in every way. You will be enriched in every way so that you may buy a Mercedes Benz and, and buy expensive clothes and buy a vacation house and put your neighbors to shame and show off. No, that's not what it says. Not that there's anything wrong with having a nice car or an extra house. If you have those things, hallelujah. Invite me over sometime. That'd be great. It actually says you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will will result in thanksgiving to God. God wants to bless us. He wants our cup to run over so that we will be a blessing to others. And the more you're blessed, the more opportunity you have to be a blessing to somebody else. And the more you do that, the more joy you will find. Every person I've ever known who was generous would say the same thing to me. They'd say, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive Him. He is too gracious to us. So here's what I want you to do with those cards I told you to tear in half. See, here's the thing. The reason I ask you to tear those cards in half is Those two words don't actually go together. If He's your Lord, then you can't tell Him no. 
If you tell him no, if you say, okay, Lord, you can have this, but not that, then he's not really your Lord. Lord means absolute control. It means absolute obedience. And I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about every part of your life. So there may be somebody here who would say, yeah, I'm faithful in my finances, but I can't forgive this guy who, who hurt me the other day. Or I'm, I'm faithful in my finances, but I, I just can't operate socially the way God wants me to. Or I'm, I'm, I'm just not obedient to him in my thought life. Or I'm, just, I'm, I'm not going to serve in ministry because I've got too much going on. There may be another area of your life you're struggling to obey God. My point to you is this. Make a decision today. To say, I'm not going to say no to you anymore, Lord. I'm going to call you, Lord. Choose one of those cards. When you walk out of our sanctuary, at the bottom of the, of the steps that you're going to walk down, there's a, a trash can on the left and on the right. Drop that no in the trash can. And keep that Lord in your pocket. Put it in your Bible. Put it on your mirror. Remind yourself, my journey is a journey toward making Him Lord over everything, including my generosity. And it could be that you need to take both of those cards home because you're not honestly there yet. Maybe you haven't decided yet. But my point is, when you choose to make Him Lord, that's when the joy begins. And I want to say this one more thing. If you choose to really pursue the lordship of Christ in your life. Don't do it because you're trying to earn his love. The fact is, if you choose to pursue his lordship and you make him lord over every area of your life and you become abundantly generous, the truth is you're going to find joy, but God's not going to love you any more than he already does. I'm not going to lie to you. I want to I want you to hear the good news and the good news is this. There was a day when Jesus had to make that same choice. Jesus, God in human flesh, who had been co-equal with the Father all of eternity, now He stands in a human body, commissioned by God the Father to lay down His life for our sins, falls prostrate in an olive grove called Gethsemane. And He sees that same choice before Him that you and I face today. Will it be no or will it be Lord? Will it be following His path to experience hell on earth so we won't have to experience hell forever? Or will it be walking away and living the, the life He deserved, a life of freedom? Which would it be? Remember what He prayed? Not my will, Lord, but Yours be done. He said, yes, Lord. He went to the cross. And that is why, and that is why when you serve Him with all your heart, when you give Him everything, don't do it so that He'll accept you, so that, you'll love him, so that He'll love you. Do it because He already has.